Welcome back. <laughs> it's Good Movie Monday, everybody. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back, and let this guy entertain you. Jared Garn, welcome back, mate. Hey, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed I didn't make it back into the the sweaty hot seat of Ben Helwig. I was hoping to, I was hoping to fill at least one ass crack of the the seat as he wanted me to, but um. I took ill after my international travels. I was about to say, you've been overseas, you know, you should be well rested by now, but uh, not quite. <laughs> no, it's always the way. I think the the first time I got COVID was on a trip back from Queensland and this time it was off a return from Fiji. But uh, yeah, so I guess the, the lesson learned is don't go on holiday, never travel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and I will roll that red cupboard back out and, and put it back in the cupboard, you know, for another time. <laughs> oh, for another time. So, yes, Jarrett is filling in for Ben, who is still overseas. Um, we're giving that guy a break for the next two weeks, so um, it's going to be you this week and then Melzy next week again to... Uh, to she'll, she'll pad the ass cheek well. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah, yeah, okay, right. Well, I'm going to have to get a, a first-hand account of how it felt to be back in that, in that saddle. Yeah, but you know what? This all works out because, you know, um, right now what people are getting is the original podcast lineup going way back many years ago. It was you and I, mate. Wow, you're right. Yeah, wow. It's almost like an anniversary of sorts. I don't even I know, know how long ago it was. And On that note, I, I know I mentioned it to you earlier, but some of the listeners who may remember Sean Crawford, mm -hmm. that we used to do uh, some episodes of Rewind and Digress and, and Franchised with, I, he's married now. I Amazing. know. So nah, the three of us are all married now. When we used to record, <laughs> at a point yeah. in time, I'm pretty sure we all weren't married and now we're all taken. We're all yes. spoken for. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> so, so there you go. A, a bit of a congratulations to one of the alumni, uh, Sean Crawford getting married. But of course, my name is Glenn Cochran. I haven't introduced myself yet. Better do that. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, this is, of course, Good Movie Monday, the podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. And yes, if you do backtrack through all of the hundreds of episodes, you'll eventually find your way to those old shows of which the two of us hosted. So it is, yeah, definitely a reunion. Very, very good to be back on the mic with you for a full episode, mate, as opposed to a guest. Yeah, absolutely. I saw on the Good Movie Monday socials the other day a share of the franchise episode of Critters, which brought a smile to my face, because God, I mean, Lynn Shea's got a new movie coming out soon too, Insidious The Red Door, so yeah, I don't know, it just it was a good trip down memory lane. I couldn't help but have a, give it a quick listen. I thought I would put that up there just to get people warmed up for what we're about to do, um, and you know what? It sounds as better than I probably would have imagined it sounds, <laughs> that old yeah, episode. Yeah, totally. I always think that we were using two tin cans and a string back in those days, but really it was only probably, what, like four or five pre-COVID days, but oh, look, yeah. The, 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 the tin and the string came into it with the first show we did, the, the fake oh, yeah. podcast. That was a, I haven't been brave enough to go back that far because I worry <laughs> I worry how I would sound. I imagine there'd, there'd probably be some dead silence let every me, now and again. Hey, Jared, what do you, you think of that? That's pretty good. <laughs> <Now>, let <laughs> me give you a rendition. It's more like, hi, welcome to the, the fakechamp.net podcast. My name's Glenn. I'm Jared. <laughs> 
Yep. There you go. So, <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> 45 minutes of that. Um, but we're going to do it a lot better for you people in this uh, this instance, so stick around because um, we have a great show lined up this week, made even greater by our special guests. Um, a bit later on, I'm going to be talking to John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, the writers and directors of Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, also the guys that gave us the uh, the vacation reboot, Game Night, amongst other things. It's awesome to, you know, put them into this show. You're a fan, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big score. I remember when I just recently saw Dungeons and Dragons theatrically and I hadn't realized it was it was the duo behind that. Yeah. And so when the credits rolled, I went to Ben, I like nudged him and I'm like, oh my God, no wonder it was so good. <laughs> but we also have the, uh, the fun-sized segment from the Boneheads coming up on the show as well, the podcast from Kentucky. Um, and this show you can find, let's do the social thing first before we push on, uh, Jared, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts from. We do recommend you listen to us on the Newsly app, which uh, you're going to hear a bit of a, a self-indulgent promo oh, from what, You know moment. what I like about Newsly, Glenn, is <laughs> that it that? reads news <laughs> articles back to you in a human-like voice. Yep, it's totally. Just, it's something else. Like, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's puzzling. It's, wow, it's, it's like it's AI. Really- <laughs> it's really good though that it, you can curate the news to your liking. We're practically doing the the promo right now, so we may as well <laughs> there you go. may as well do that. <laughs> hey, if you if you want to check us out on Newsly, they have a premium service which um, we can get you a free month of if you use our exclusive code Monday without the O M N without the O, folks. Monday without the O, which sounds like Monday. It totally does. It's yeah. a, it's like one of those fanciful cool new sort of slang ways of spelling things so we're we're cool before the kids are (laughs) that's right so this is about the time i would have thrown to that promo we've done a good job of it right now so let's just push straight into jarrett's segment this would be the home entertainment update also known as pe class take it away mate well the first title i want to mention funnily enough and perfectly timed for this episode is dungeons and dragons honor among thieves yeah it's streeting this week and it's coming out on all the formats you got 4k blu-ray and dvd and the beautiful thing about this one is both the 4k and the blu-ray have dolby atmos so you don't just need to get 4k you can get it on the blu-ray you don't get it on dvd but you also don't get much on dvd there's a ton of special features on this too which i'm really psyched that you know they've gone to the effort paramount's gone to the effort of loading this up with special features you've got six featurettes you've got deleted scenes you've got a gag reel so yeah it's it's a really solid release and yeah terrific film and it was one of those ones that initially when I saw theatricals, I really enjoyed that, but I don't know if I need to own it. Yeah, yeah. And I've been thinking about the film so much since having seen it that I I genuinely want to revisit it. So I it think is, I'm going to have yeah. to pick it up. It is also a movie that when it came along, like expectations were pretty low because it took so bloody long to get to us. You heard all these horror stories about the production. Um, and then when you kind of you know, got some sneak peeks, it looked like it was going to be too funny for its own good, but yeah. it worked like a bloody Monty Python movie. It was... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a delicate and beautiful balance. Because, yeah, I was worried, is it going to be like that Warcraft movie where it's super nerdy or is it going to be, yeah, super parody like, you know, Robin Hood Men in Tights? But it just, like you said, it was like almost like that Python sort of balance of things. It was just, yeah. And and the action sequence, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but the finale was actually awe-inspiring and cool. Like normally during one of those finales, I kind of lose interest, you know, midway through and then I'm like thinking about something else and then I'm like, oh, they're still fighting, are they? But no, it really gripped me and it was funny. Like it was a, a really well played sort of 
finale. But yeah, I dug it. I'll probably end up picking it up on 4K. But there are some other tentpole titles hitting home this week. Also hitting 4K Blu-ray and DVD. We've got that Adam Driver, you know, marooned on a planet of dinosaurs movie, 65. Haven't seen it. Do want to see it. Won't blind buy that one. But I, do, <laughs> I will wait for streaming for that one, I'm afraid. I missed this one theatrically and I'm spewing because it's right up my alley. Um, I, it doesn't even bother me that it got lackluster reviews. It's just a movie that appeals to me in every way. And the fact that he's not an Earthling, he's crash landed on a foreign planet, which happens to be Earth. Yeah. That excites yeah. me. Yeah, it's kind of got that Planet of the Apes feel about it and also a very Aliens feel about it too because he befriends a young girl like Ripley and Newt. So I do want to see it, but like I said, I'm going to tread carefully. I might wait for streaming for that one. Then the other tentpole title that's hitting home entertainment this week is one that I know that you didn't enjoy. Hmm. I do want to see, but this is the kind of movie that I'll say I want to see and probably never check out. It's Shazam! Fury of the Gods. <laughs> and I, I just wonder though, had they done Shazam, Food of the Gods, mm. would it have been a better movie? You had Shazam versus like giant rodents. Would be an amazing film. Why aren't we making these movies? Why haven't they got us at the top of these studios greenlighting these films? But yeah, I um I'm I, I, I there's curiosity. I think uh -huh. it's a plane movie. If I yeah. if I travel again, if I wish to get sick, I will um I will travel and I will watch it on the plane. And then the only other release I'll mention that's coming out this week. It's a 4K Ultra HD debut locally, and that's the French film from 20, well, 2001, actually. I think this Ben might be one of Ben's favourites, Brotherhood of the Wolf. And that's yeah. coming out from Studio Canal and Universal Sony, and it's a, it's a good release. We're only getting a single disc release locally, which means we're only getting the director's cut in 4K, but it's got Atmos, it's got two commentaries. Of course, the commentaries are in French, but you can use English subtitles, which I don't know how that works if you're watching the film that's subtitled and then you're listening to the commentary. Will it just be like a, a screen full of text? I don't know. But <laughs> Who knows? I'm, I'm curious, but that's one that I definitely need to upgrade. And I mean, the only thing we're losing out on a local release as opposed to the UK or the US is the bonus Blu-ray that has the original theatrical version of the movie. So yeah, look, it's, it's not that big a... I no. don't think we're missing That's, out. Um, I mean, it's affordably priced too. It's a very interesting film. I really like that one. It was a bit, a bit of an important film back in the video store days because it was one of the few foreign films that just went nuts as far as rentals go. Yeah, and did, like, when it came out on home video, did they release two versions, an English dub and the English subtitle version? I think they did. And I also remember yeah. they had the, the rental exclusive version. Do you remember those? Ah, yes, and they, yes. They were, just, they were just bare bones. It was the film only, no features whatsoever, had a slightly different totally. cover. But that was appealing to me just because it was different like you know and yeah and i agree i i loved you know i mean once upon a time it annoyed me windows because you know you just wanted to buy something and own it because you yeah. know you saw it theatrically and you loved it but i i do really miss the days of windows because now now you know if something goes to streaming there's probably not a great chance it's going to come out on physical so yep. yeah gone are the the rental dvd days but yeah i do remember that one going rental only and then Later, it came out in like this superb two-disc edition, so it was definitely worth the wait. Yeah, I've got that one. Um, and the movie that came out around the same time that was very similar was the um, Roman Santa, the Brian Houston production That's with Julian right. Sands. Was that very one of those similar. fantastic factory sort of productions? It was the one that had the best production value. Like, it was actually yeah. theatrical. Yeah. Like, it felt like a really, really sort of 
good budgeted type of movie as opposed to schlocky and that was a really good movie in and of itself we, we and... need a blu-ray release of that actually because they, they released a few others from like you know dagon's come out and yep uh beyond reanimator but that one and maybe arachnid that hasn't yep. sort of surfaced either i don't I've think i've got but the I'd old av channel of dvd of that one same i've got that somewhere <laughs> yeah. in the dvd section over there a fantastic factory box set would be amazing but um yeah i remember there was this influx of spanish films they, they came around at the same time as um like the fantastic factory ones um what was the other one like guillermo del toro started coming out with his pan's labyrinth and devil's uh, backbone yes. and all these films started to feel like there's a there's a movement you know coming and what oh, about that one them. was there one called was it below uh what lies below not no not the not the harrison ford one no i think was it called below and it was oh, no, I yeah. think... it was i think it's what lies below below or beneath as opposed to ah yes yeah, it's very similar to the harrison ford title which is the yeah zemeckis one uh, beneath still waters beneath still waters that's it yeah. yes i love that yes. one that was about the ghost one, town too. about the town yes. that was submerged by the reservoir and um it's it, you know, the people that were perished um sort of come back and yeah i, and I has... love that con concept now i've got a weird side story you know right. another digression is i was doing an audio commentary the other day but not actually recording it myself i was mm. you know audio engineering and audio commentary for someone else uh, and they told me a story about lake hilden because of course i talked about houseboat horror you know i, I you talk about the i don't know how <laughs> yeah and they were telling me that that initially that Lake Hilden had been flooded and then they built upon like over the top. Yeah. So yeah, there's this, this city so, lives, exists below like so yes, sunken I mean, city. There was definitely a township in the valley and um, there were a number of uh, locations chosen to put a dam. I think Wonga Park where I used to live and you know, when we started the podcast was one of the locations chosen and then rejected. Um, many years ago and yeah lake yield and they just flooded the township they evacuated obviously and, and and all that but about 10 15 years ago when we had the massive drought and lake yield was at its lowest you could see the yeah. houses start to come up and they started yeah because yeah. when i heard the story all i could think was the finale of poltergeist where it's like you <laughs> yeah. know you didn't move the bodies you moved the stones, but you didn't move the bodies and, and I was like, whoa, that's wild. I'd never heard that. So I probably yeah. got photos. I went up there at that time just to see what it looked like. And it was very eerie. I mean, it wasn't like you'd, you'd imagine like in a movie where it's like a perfectly mm. preserved township or anything like that. It was like everything's yeah. rotted and like, you know, fallen yeah, over and stuff. A couple of letterboxes left and maybe some pickets. But um, yeah, yeah fantastic yeah. Uh, story to, to Lake Yield. And like that yeah. should be the sequel to Houseboat Horror. <laughs> I know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They can adapt that to Lake Infinity. Yes, but I guess what they didn't have at Lake Yield and what they did have in um, Brian Usner's film was an orgy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. What's a Usner <laughs> film without an orgy? Have you seen that Brian Usner's got a new movie coming out that's premiering at, uh, I think it's Fantasia in Canada with Barbara Crampton and uh, Dennis, the screenwriter of Reanimator and From Beyond. Hey, Ollie. Hey, Ollie, yeah, is, is the screenwriter on this one and apparently it exists within the Herbert West reanimator universe. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I saw the poster art for it. And I'm like, I'm genuinely quite excited about okay, this. Okay, I'm going to definitely look into that because I do know about it. But the last time I heard it was an anthology film and he was doing one segment from it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. remember the title of it, but uh, I didn't think I was going to mention it. But all I can hope <laughs> is that it's got an orgy in it being a Brian Usner production. Yeah. And if it's a short film, it's just orgy. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> contribution to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Let's go shunting. <laughs> yeah, let's go to the shunt. Oh, baby, <laughs> shunters in the night. <laughs> it's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Yep, yep. And that's it coming out. That's it for this week. Anything else is probably just DVD. And look, let's face it, if they can't be bothered releasing it in high definition, I can't be bothered talking about it. Are you going to say that when Sniper 10 comes out? No, well, that's a bit different. They, look, there's always exceptions. <laughs> there's always exceptions. And, and Sniper 10 will be an exception to the rule. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Let's, uh, let's throw to some kind of soundbite and then we'll, uh, we'll press on with the next uh, part of the show. Let's go to the shunt. <laughs> Shunters in the night. <laughs> Alrighty, moving along like a freight train here, mate. We are up to the next part of the show, which is what year is this? What year is it? What year do you think it is? What year is it? What year is it? So this is the part of the show where we do the cross promotion, reminding people that Good Movie Monday also presents a second podcast, which is called Wednesday Up Late, which I host with Chloe Ritchie, 10.30 on a Wednesday night. It's a lot different to this show and it's mostly gameplay. It's, you know, 45 minutes of you know, what do you love, you know, would you rather, all that kind of stuff. And one of the games we play is Guess the Year of Release, which we're going to do right now, Jarrett. I'm so, I'm so happy that we're doing this one and we're not doing, uh, what was the other one? Love, Kill... Um, <laughs> fuck Mary kill <laughs> that's it yeah yeah absolutely that, that's really difficult to do when you like all three people and you got to kill somebody I know some, someone has to die I know yeah it's very easy if Shayla Buff is one of the people in the <laughs> equation because <laughs> kill him every time yeah, every time well, I mean you know, I'm gonna give him a run <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, this is pretty basic stuff we throw movie titles into the air and the other person has to guess the year of release um so let's do it uh the loser has to record the rest of the show naked by the way so just throw that in there oh god <laughs> it's awfully good, chilly i'm just telling just warning the listeners now <laughs> good thing it's a podcast not a podcast yeah <laughs> so five movies each i'm going to throw the first one at you william friedkin's sorcerer sorcerer well that's an interesting one so is it the year that it was made or the year it was released in australia in cinemas I, I'm going for the year they're made. Um, mind okay. you, where I sourced the information from, who knows how reliable it is. Let's, um, if you can guess one or the other, oh, I'm happy with that. Oh, I'm going to, oh, it's such a tough one, dude. I should know this. You know, it was released in Australian cinemas as Wages of Fear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was actually released like three or four years after its US theatrical and retail. You know what, like Wages of Fear is... Um, that's the original, it's, like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a more apt title, and yet mm. Sorcerer just works for some godknown reason. It's, and they reckon that was the you know the fault of the film was like it released and everyone thought it was a sword and sandal movie in the states, so no one went to see it. And other people thought it was like another Exorcist movie. Yeah, they thought they were going for that that Exorcist type of horror yeah. title, but um, no, but it, this, it works anyway. Like you watch oh, Sorcerer, like, 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 someone yeah. says and the word Sorcerer to me, that's what I think of. That's the way I saw it. I mean, like, the first time I saw it was at at MIF when they had the 4K restoration and they screened it. And that was Same. so that's the only thing I've known it as. And yeah, I fucking love it. But I'm going to look, I'm going to go with, oh, it's, I'm going to go with 1977. Yep. Oh, <laughs> yes. So I reckon I got the, because I think it was just... released in Australia in about 81 as wages of fear from yeah. memory. Yeah. So I would have taken that date from like IMDB or somewhere like that. Yeah, 77, perfect. Yep. That's what I was hoping Bam. for. Bam, Bob's your uncle. <laughs> what a great one. Awesome, man. 
Well, so you far, ready for one? So far, you're on your way, or do you, you, close, you close? Stay on for now. Oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, no, go at throw me, throw one at me. Okay, it's alive. Three Island of the Alive. <laughs> far out. See, um, anyone that's listened to Wednesday up late knows I'm terrible at this game. So I'm gonna just throw 1984 into the mix. No, it's no, later. You... It's later. 1987. Yes. Oh, you're correct. Yes, I will give yes. that to you. Perfect. 1987. Woo! Good yeah. job, man. You get to keep keep the shirt on and the trousers for now. <laughs> and no, I don't have a screen in front of me. Like that might have sounded like I was googling or scrolling, but you you can attest that I wasn't. <laughs> oh shit! All right, you ready for your next one? Yes, most certainly. Bushwhacked. Ooh, bushwhacked. Ooh, okay. I've got two years in my head. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's going to be one or the other. I'm going to go with, oh, shit. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with 1993. Is it 94? No. no. Is it 94? No. Is it 95? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I was, 93 and 94 was where I was at. Because I was like, it was enough after Home Alone 2 but it felt like it was around the same time as Rookie of the Year or well, the Sandlot Kids. The I interesting thing about this one is it was made as Home Alone spinoff with Marv the Wet Bandit, which is why on the poster and in the film, he's dressed exactly like Marv, has the same haircut as Marv, and it was yeah. going to be Marv's side adventures. And um, somewhere along the line, they decided not to do that. I don't know if it was a legal reason or if it was just like it, it might make more money if it was a standalone. But yeah, that's the backstory for Bushwhacked. You know well, what? I liked Bushwhacked. I think it was Same. it was actually hilarious. I remember thinking, "Is this going to be a kids' film?" But yeah. no, it was a, it was really funny. I've got to revisit it, and clearly I need to because I couldn't identify the year it was released. Oh, mate, this is the this is the thing with people like us playing a game like this is that when you don't get it right, it's a hit to the ego. Oh, it is totally, and I just like <laughs> the way our brains think is like it's got to be enough after Home Alone, but before <laughs> this. So it's somewhere in between there, and I'm going to go with, yeah. It's why I do like playing this game on the show, because we we talk about it. Like, it's not like yeah. we just give an answer and move on to the next one. Like, we like to rationalize our way through it yeah, and have a conversation yeah, exactly. about it. Yeah. Oh, fuck now. All right, we'll throw one okay. at me. Let's see how we go. Oh, God, you devil. Oh, my God. Oh, God, you devil. So this is number two, not number three. Is that right? Uh, this is no, no, this is number three. This is number three. This is number three. Yeah, I, oh can you see a two. theme forming here? Yeah, I do. So it's <laughs> oh, book, oh God, book two, and then Oh God, you yes. devil. Um, I am going to say 83 on this one. Ooh, so close. It's, it's 84. 84, okay. 84, so close. So close, yes. Very close. Um, Far out. There's a, there's a franchise I have not revisited in God knows how long. I did buy the triple pack on Blu-ray from the States. I've only got through the first film, but I do want to watch book two and, and New Devil. I, I, I dug these movies so much as a kid. Yeah. Like I loved George Burns as a kid. I don't know why, but I loved him. George Burns is such like an anomaly in my life. Like I have these fond memories of him from being a kid and watching things like I was 18 again and, and movies yeah. like that. And yet now I, I they're very vague memories. Like I, he sort yeah. of didn't exist at the same time. Like, I'm like, was it a figment of my imagination that George yeah. Burns was this thing? But there you go. All right, I'm going to have It's to... weird. It's like he's kind of like, obviously he's long past, but it feels yeah. like none of those movies get played, you know, on TV or pop up on the streamers or anything. So it's sort of like as soon as they're out of sight to a degree, they're kind of out of mind. Whereas you have like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. And, you know, 
but he was in some of the greatest comedies of all time, like Caddyshack. Well, and so not, you know that's never going to go away. George Burns's legacy, the greater part of his legacy, was well before these movies True. as well, like True. right back, you know, because he reached yeah. 100 years old. So his yeah, glory yeah. days were back in the like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think. So absolutely, and this was this was really like sort of his second coming, his you know yeah. career revival, getting the old man kind of roles. Yeah, yeah. The 80s. There we go. Alrighty, so your next one's RoboCop two. Oh, RoboCop two. Oh, okay. Um, now it's, oh, it's so difficult. Like I'm, I know RoboCop one was eighty seven, but RoboCop mm-hmm. two. It's either gonna be, and I'm, I'm not committing to either one yet. I'm just gonna <laughs> alternate. It's either nineteen ninety mm-hmm. or ninety one. I feel I'm gonna go with nineteen ninety. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there awesome. we go. Excellent. Oh my goodness. Are we keeping tracks on who's who's losing what with clothing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully clothed. I think we're one. We're two. Yeah. Are we two for two or I one think, for? I don't know. No, I've got. I, I've got to give you another one now and then. All right. And we'll see well, if we're we're even. The little bit of trivia I'll throw in for RoboCop too was the original script for this was going to be set 25 years after RoboCop and an entirely different script called Corporate Wars. Oh wow! So it's, it's okay, be, the, the film was going to be called Corporate Wars, but it was still going to be a, a RoboCop sequel. Ah, I you know I saw this one theatrically. I saw it at the drive-in, and I remember when it first came out. I don't know how it, if they did it on video, but when it came out theatrically, it was only M, and it was like slightly neutered because obviously they knew they were going after a wider audience. Kids yep. loved RoboCop and whatnot. And then when it came out on video, they did the R version. I don't know if they did an M version on video where they only did the R, whereas yep. like Kickboxer 2, they did an M and an R on video. And I think That's right. Total Recall, they did the M and Universal the R. Universal Soldier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Universal Soldier. But yeah, yeah, I remember seeing it and then it coming out on video and going, oh my God, what more is there to see? And now also, it's R. Also, back in that era too, like the part two sequel posters were as good, if not better than the first ones. A fucking oath and yeah. Robocop coming through the wall. Like it was just, just iconic. Like yep, iconic. Yep. Was and then you've two... got Robocop 3, which had the shittiest poster. <laughs> and arguably it's not a terrible movie. And it was just mishandled because everybody kind yep. of got involved and Fred Decker kind of really got screwed on that one. But yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and that'd be go. a difficult one. Cause you're like, if what year is that one? I'm like the year it was made. I know. Cause it was shelled for so many years and finally, you know, put out, I don't know, two or three years after it was made. Yep. All right. Okay. So uh, so I've got one to give you now. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 3. Number three. This is the one where Simon Pegg came into the franchise. So yeah. I would say 2001. Oh, I know. You're way off. Am I really? Way off. Yeah, it's 2006. 2001's okay. probably closer to the original. No, because oh, sorry, I'm... closer to to number two. No, because number, number one was, was still in the 90s. Yeah, number one was like 95 or 96, I think. And yeah, 96, in, I think. In my mind, Brian though, num- in my mind, the John Woo number two was like 99, 2000. That's why. I yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. And then there was a bit of a bracket of time with three because Abrams came okay. aboard and it felt like they really finessed the franchise because oh, the Woo one was, you know, fairly average, let's face it. But the third one was actually really great and Kurt, uh what's her name um what's her name felicity um kerry russell yeah. she was in the third one as well yeah i dug th- that one num- abrams I mean, num- directed it number yeah. three is yeah and didn't brad bird write it i think yeah, yeah yeah it's um it's the like when i was talking to chloe about mission impossible on the other show um she was asking me like you know should she watch 
any particular installments before the new one comes out. And I'm like, well, only start for number three and move forward. Like, you don't need totally, number one and two for this. Because totally. no. it does. It changes the entire aesthetic oh, yeah. of, the, of the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I was ready to give up on the franchise after the second one. And I only watched the third one when it came out, like, I think on DVD. And I rented it out and I went, oh, shit, this is actually all right. I'm yeah. back in. And I'm back in. And yet they're retaining characters from number two. Like, Ving Reigns is yeah. still in the new one and, you know. I got like that again, yeah. You know, not it's not none of this David Gordon Green bullshit. You know, <laughs> yeah. none of this retconning or anything. Just you know, acknowledge your mistakes and keep moving. Fucking you know, oath. and that's the way all sequels should be. Absolutely, maybe not Beverly Hills Cop Four. We could probably pretend three never happened. No, no, we can't. no, no, no. We can't. No, no we, we can't. can't. I just rebought number three, right? Because I sold off my trilogy box set because. <laughs> Number one and two have come out in 4K. And let's face it, we know number three is never going to get a 4K release. It ain't happening. (laughs) So I did buy it recently in the JB, buy, get one, get one free or whatever. Because I felt comfortable having spent $3 on buying. You know what? Like number three as a standalone movie is fun. It's a fun movie, right? But as a Beverly Hills Cop movie, it does not fit. And then there's backstories to all that. But at the same time, you're doing a number four. You don't ignore number three. Or you do ignore number three, but you don't try to wash over it like it didn't happen. As if, you know know what I mean? No, that's it. That's it. If anything, I would like some cheeky references to how shit a movie it is, you know, just (laughs) the odd sort of thing. Like, remember that time? No, let's not talk about it. Something (laughs) like that would be pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, did you hear about the fact that the, the Twins sequel, the Triplets, is now, yep. like, dead in the water? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been troubled for the last 12 months, you know, because it was really off the ground and going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, you know, because we'd, we'd heard about it for so long, but it was apparently Jason Reitman that put the, the stake, stake okay. in it. And, well, and Schwarzenegger was not happy about it. He was, like, pretty oh, much yes. like... Yes, I did read this. Yeah. yeah because... And I, I love Jason Reitman, but I'm like, Mate, you know, I've loved all the movies you've made, mm. but now all you're doing is like sort stuff. of feeding off your dad's corpse. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and really gruesome. I think it's more I think it's more say. I think it's more he's trying to preserve his dad's legacy. Oh yeah, legacy. And I and I look, I trust him because I loved Afterlife. Yep. It was a lot of fun. Same. Um, but at the same time I'm like, fucking make triplets happen, buddy. Just stand well, aside. Last- you've got Three yeah. comic greats that could be in this and, and really do something well, special I mean, with it. Well, I mean, Eddie Murphy jumped ship a long time ago and Tracy Morgan came into it. So either oh, way... Yeah, I like, forgot about that. Yeah. But so surely I mean, that... Eddie might be up for it again now, to be honest, because, like, coming to America 2 <laughs> wasn't <laughs> terrific. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he's got on the go apart from potentially Beverly Hills Cop 4, well, with the, the, the Beverly... Beverly Hills Cop, the series. With the Beverly Hills Cop movie, that's a deal he struck with Netflix. Same with um, was it was Netflix behind Coming to America or was that Amazon? But that I know was it was Paramount, but they sold it to Amazon okay, during cause COVID. Because I, I do know that when he signed up for Beverly Hills Cop Four, he also signed up to do another stand-up special similar to Delirious. Oh man, that'll be great! I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, I mean that's that's where Eddie still excels. Like he's still so fast, quick-witted hilarious uh and yeah and i i want to see him do more adult comedy again well, although uh, coming to america too wasn't dude. a good, good indication of that now that you say that dolomite though, was great dolomite was amazing that was a real yeah. comeback and but now that you yeah. said that i did read that he's just like he's in talks to do another family film and it's like dude you need to let that shit go like you've got yeah. the money you don't need to do it you're, you're actually well, fans. I don't know how many kids has he got. He's got a lot of kids, <laughs> so true, I mean, he's that's true. probably got, <laughs> still paying all those maintenance. That's true, that's true. Or who are we up to? Uh, I believe it's you because I just did Mission Impossible 3 yep. your way. All right, so what year of release was Man's Best Friend? 
man's best friend. I'm going to go hard and fast with 1995. No. 96. 93. 93. Oh, whoa, it was way off. 93. Yeah, okay, shit. All right. That was a good time for John Lafayette um, directed that one, and he had just done, I think, Child's Play 2. Child's Play 2, yeah. And and then straight afterwards, though, all downhill because he did like Chameleon 3 or Chameleon 3 and Rats. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's done two of those cheapo fucking earthquake movies as well. Yeah, what a fall from, from, well, relative grace. But, yeah, Man's Best Friend was terrific. I didn't didn't get to see that one theatrically, but I did see it as soon as it landed on home video, and I was like, why was there not more noise about this movie? It's so good. When it did go theatrical, it had a pretty big TV campaign. I remember all the ads and the TV spots. I remember it too, and but I also remember Roadshow doing some really stupid like marketing for the film in the newspaper, yep. having like reviews that were reviewed by like famous dogs and stuff. Like <laughs> Benji says this, and Lassie it's not says a that, family or movie. and I'm just yeah. like, yeah, well, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like it was such mixed messaging that made it feel like maybe it was going to be like a comedy, but and no, it's terrific. We played it a couple of years ago, uh, Monster Fest. We did like a a dog exploitation marathon and yeah, played yeah. it in that. And it was so good that so many people that had not seen it got to see it and yeah, really dug it. I think it was the most popular of the three films we did in the dog exploitation marathon. Doing a yeah, bit terrific. of doing a bit of a callback. 93, of course. Oh, no, doing yeah. a bit of a callback to earlier in the show. Did that uh, dog exploitation also include Rottweiler, the Brian Usner Fantastic Factory film? No, I wish it did. No, it was <laughs> I think we did Play Dead and yeah. we did Dogs, I think, was well, the other one. I think it was just three. Rottweiler's pretty average. Yeah, yeah, to- totally. <laughs> good, good DVD totally. cover, but that's about it. I think I've still got the the magnet. It was Magna Pacific, yeah, I think. It's it got like the, a little foil the cover, foil sort thing, of yeah. like a foil dog on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. All right, so I think this is my no second last one. I've yep. got to give you. Yep. Okay, so this one, this one's pretty easy. I feel like I'll probably pantsless by the end of this segment. <laughs> Police Academy 3 back in training. Oh, fuck, you say that's easy, but to me, like, all the Police Academies blur. They do, they meld. Because they were back-to-back, like, boom, 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 boom. One a year, one a year. Yeah, really consistent. Like the Friday the 13th franchise, it was pretty much a guarantee. Okay, so we're talking number three. and Number three. I'm going to say 84. Oh, no. 83? No, later. Oh, really? Okay, see, I've started with number one too early then because I'm sort of trying to yeah. count Yeah, I think years. number one's 1980... 87, 87. 86. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> I feel like 87 was maybe Citizens on Patrol. I feel like that came, like, straight after. Yeah, I feel like Citizens on Patrol was more 88. But anyway, I... um. God, number three is the best of all the police academies. We've oh, had an argument favorite. with the Boneheads over this one, I think. Um, it's my favourite. It it's is my favourite. It's one of the great comedies of all time. I think if if I was to compile the 100 greatest comedies of all time, I think Police Academy 3 is in it. I think it might be my top 10 favourite comedies of all it intru- time. Like yeah. It introduced so many of the actual uh, tropes that we know from Police Academy. Like That's Absolutely. the movie that kind of laid them bare for us. And um, Yeah, so good, so good. Absolute classic. <laughs> At this oh, at this yeah. point in time, we're we're uh, even scores, so it looks like we're either both going Starkers Tie-breaker. or we're both keeping our trousers on. All right, so let's see how we go with Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. Ooh, Graveyard Shift! God, I love the Aussie artwork for that. I mean, yeah. it was probably the international artwork with the miner's helmet and the skull. Back, back in those days, the poster art 
quite often informed or influenced my reaction to the film. Like I yeah, liked the movie yeah. more because of the poster art back then. Like Precisely. I didn't... Oh, yeah. and I was more forgiving of the movie. Yeah, that's, the that's probably ruled. a better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Oh, it's a tough one. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with 1992. 1990. Ah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we had a delayed release here. Yeah. That's my feeling, maybe. I reckon you're you right. Go, yeah. Here's the thing think, with that one. Yeah. Like, it's it's a fairly um lambasted movie. It's not well celebrated. I think Stephen King considers it one of his worst. But the director on Graveyard Shift was an assistant director on movies like Testament, Network, Taxi Driver, and Death Wish. Wow, that's phenomenal. But I guess if you work with Michael Winner, you know, you've worked <laughs> you've worked with the hardest people and you've worked with like Lynn Littman, so you've worked with a talented filmmaker, so you've worked the, you know, the, the, <laughs> the spectrum of films. It's incredible though, because like I remember, you know, Blood Moon, obviously, you know, a film that oh, I yeah. do tend to mention, not we nearly as much it. as House by Horror. We did, we did, yes. We won't mention where though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but yeah, Blood Moon was directed by the cinematographer of uh, Empire Strikes Back, which just blows my mind. Cause it, you're like, you go from doing something as massive and epic and grand as that. Yeah. And he shot like, a, I think a Bond movie. I can't remember which one, but then yeah, when he made his directorial debut, he directed a slasher film in Australia. <laughs> and you're but, like, it, but, it, but it just how? goes to show like, no matter how good you are at your craft in a certain yes. niche, like that doesn't mean you've got what it takes to actually pull off an entire film. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Not not everyone's a Barry Sonnenfeld, you know, that's an accomplished <laughs> cinematographer, but then actually a really good filmmaker as well. Yeah. Or starts in porn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or ends up in porn, like Old Mate from Fright Night and Nine Seven Six Evil. Bless I think, his soul. Isn't Barry Sonnenfeld now doing like a Peter Hames where he's like he's now a director of photography? He's not directing per se, but he's behind the camera. Oh. Yeah, he's going. He's doing that again because that's where he started. He yeah. was like, he did some of the great, uh, you know, Coen Brothers movies, yep. and then totally. I think was his debut feature, like The Adams Family. Was that his so. first film? I, I mean, so. what a way to fucking land as your first <laughs> feature as a director, or one then, of your yeah. first features. And then his last one was that Talking Cat movie with Kevin Spacey. Oh shit! Yeah, okay, yeah, that one. I think it had like it had a couple names. We got a different Nine title lives here. Or something like that. Nine lives, yeah, and yeah. something else somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh god, that's not a that's not a good thing. No, oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, last one. so is is this this is my last one for you? Yep. And so the this last this one is of the game. this is the decider. Yep. Okay. Omen three: The Final <laughs> Conflict. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna say eighty four. Oh, no, no, earlier. Really? Far out. See, I told you I'm terrible at this game. 84. Okay, so is it 82? 81. 81. Wow. So that, 81. Yeah, I guess because yeah. the first Omen was early 70s, wasn't it? Like, yeah, early to mid 70s. Yeah, I think it came just after Exorcist. So it must have yeah. been about maybe 75 and yet, or something. Yeah, because that in my and head. And then maybe 78 for Damien. I in think. my head, the first, Omen, um, the first Omen feels much more like a, an 80s movie, even though it's not. Oh, yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's got a, it does have a certain more 80s aesthetic to it, say, it, you know, it, yeah. it feels quite different from The Exorcist. Um, whereas the Exorcist feels more like Rosemary's Baby, sort of more like late sixties, even. I've, I've clearly I've got a, a soft spot for Omen Three. I love that they released it with a different title. It was just the Final Conflict. It wasn't yeah, called Omen Three like that would have totally. confused people. So it took some guts to do that. But it's also a genuinely good political thriller. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it was. 
I think at the time when it was released, you know, you had the the naysayers that were basically are trying to shut it down, going, it's just an Omen movie. Yeah. But then you had Omen fans that were disappointed because it was like this sort of political, it you know, little thriller it slash little horror. Kid. Yeah. No, no. It was great. And it, I feel like it plays in a really good double with something like The Dead Zone as well, you know, Cronenberg's yeah. Yeah. adaptation of The King Dead Zone. Totally. Uh, but yeah, I, I've just started reading. Well, when I say reading, I've just started listening to the audio book, I should say, of uh, Sam Neill's autobiography. And I'm really hoping that he'll talk about some of his genre work in there, like Possession and Final Conflict and In the Mouth of Madness. I'm not sure if it'll happen, but, you know, so far it's really interesting. And I don't think I, he's even made it to screen yet. He's oh, only been right. doing theatre. Will so, he talk yeah. about the James Bond stuff? Yeah, oh God, I hope so. Surely. I mean, it's... I think it's about 12 hours or so, so he's got to talk about something. He's <laughs> he certainly talked about a sheep for quite a long time early <laughs> in the piece, and I'm like, that's great, but when are we getting to the movie, Sam? Come on, mate, come on. Clear blue sky, but it rains all the late fees. Did you get the payment? We had an arrangement. We don't want to watch the news, we just read snakes. Yeah, do you
<laughs> I was trying to keep my pants on. That's all I was worried about. <laughs> this room's very cold. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, there we go. And um, that also there was a song selected by you, good sir. Hollywood. Yeah, baby. now I've got a funny story about this song. So 100 Jacks and the song's called Hollywood Baby. I um I don't know when you know you're listening to Spotify and you listen through an album and then after an album finishes it does kind of like its discovery play of like finding other music that's similar to that that obviously other people are listening to that listen yeah. to what you listen to and it's a great way of discovering artists that you might never have had any way of accessing prior and so I land on musicians all the time that's how I landed upon this band and I thought I was so fucking cutting edge and with it and cooler than you know the kid down the street i'm like yeah fuck i'm all over this yeah, and yeah. i looked him up and i'm like this album's only 2023 it's recently dropped oh man you know i'm I'm signing up to the fan club now i'm starting the fucking fan club now <laughs> i thought it was so cool like you know fucking this is great played it for danny get into this it's great yeah, yeah. and it's a solid record a lot of fun mm. i was listening back to an old episode of tony martin's sizzle town right yeah. And from last year, from like maybe, or maybe it was even the year before, could have been yeah. 2021. And he has a, he has one of the callers that calls in that I fucking love. It's like this old guy who's always like, oh, yeah, just having a, a word as original and listening to some music. And he goes, oh, what are you listening to? And he goes, oh, I'll be listening to some Mars Volta. And, and he goes, the Mars Volta, really? Anyway, they did that, but they did it with this very band. And he's like, what? 100 checks. And he's like, Oh, you like the hyperpop, do you? And he goes, Oh, yeah, I don't mind the hyperpop. You know, I did dig their EP, but their newer stuff, not really. And I'm like, I'm so behind the times. Like, Tony Martin's made a joke of it on a podcast two years ago. Well, and then I, I mean, yeah, immediately felt uncool. And is that a real uh, caller or is it one of no, his characters? No, no, no. His, his Sizzle Town, they're all fictitious all callers. Yeah. And yep. it, they are literally the best. He's got one guy that rings up who's always talking about upgrading his last version of a film like and that and it's he's like oh yeah i'm just upgrading from blu-ray which was an upgrade from the dvd which was an upgrade from the laser disc that came out in japan and anyway <laughs> he, he has all these faux callers and they're yeah, terrific yeah. and so whenever i do radio and i get the you know the mm -hmm. uh, talk back people yeah it honestly some of them are hauntingly well familiar I do listen to your your radio spots and I can exactly I can I know exactly what yeah. you're saying. Uh, the other thing too, like I've only listened to one or two episodes of Sizzletown a while ago, so I didn't pick up on that. But it sounds to me like he's doing what he did back on the DGen days, what he did on the Martin Malloy days, like yes, yeah, totally, which totally. is great. That's what I loved yeah. about him. It's it, yeah, it's a it's a fantastic podcast, and I'd I'd fallen behind on it. I think you know during the pandemic, and then you know after we did that commentary, yeah, yeah. I was like I was I needed a little Tony fix, and so yeah, I'd yeah. started, and then I was binging it hard. Nice, <laughs> nice. I would. I wonder if he's listened to an episode of this. I highly doubt it. I'll I'll email it to him and say, hey mate, you reckon you can give this a listen? <laughs> select. We your gave you a plug, wisely. man. We gave you a plug. <laughs> uh, select the episodes wisely. Like, don't give him a dud one. <laughs> no, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll give him. I'll give him a Ben and Glenn episode. I won't give him a Jarrett and Glenn episode just in case. <laughs> Last but I won't give him good. one of the ones where we're getting cancelled. No, no, that's true. <laughs> he might share it on Twitter and we might actually get cancelled. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, speaking of funny people, though, let's just get to the point of the show. The uh, the, the focus interview of this week is John Francis Daly and Jonathan Golson, the, the guys behind movies like, we said before, Game Night and Vacation, but they also did Horrible Bosses. They wrote that and uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. They're the, they're the brains behind that. 
So I love that. I same. It's it. like it's one of the best Spider-Man movies there is up until the the Spider-Verse. The new one is freaking amazing, dude. I haven't seen it yet. Oh. I'm 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 very keen. I'm it's waiting great. for it to go to streaming. I actually probably I will buy that on physical media the yeah. week it's released. It's I will so definitely good. It's buy so that. good. But they um yes, they do have their brand new film Hidden Home Entertainment this week as Jarrett said before, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. This movie took me by surprise. I took Chloe to see this one and had no idea how hilarious this one would be. And this has a has a couple of nice little uh, jump scares in it too, which uh, I discovered uh, <laughs> how sensitive Chloe is to jump scares. She went through <laughs> the fucking roof. <laughs> no one else in the cinema did, so just <laughs> a bit sensitive, I think. <laughs> but yes, as I as I indicated before, it's very much Princess Bridey, Monty Python's Holy Grail. Um, yeah, just really good. Here's some fun facts about it before we throw to it. Australia, and I guess the UK or certain territories, had the um, the honour of spelling honour yes. with the U. So yes. the, the theatrical art had the H-O-N-O-U-R. I was so thrown by that because I saw it on the home entertainment art and I thought, did they retitle it just yeah. for us? That's, what, it's like... What, couldn't believe it. Well, one, I'm like, you feel like, oh, that's cool. Like, they're acknowledging proper English, right? But at the same mm. time, that fucks up their hashtags. Yeah, totally. Because, yeah, you know, you don't get the same traction, do you? No. So it's interesting, though, because I remember when we released, um, what was it? Color Out of Space. Yep. We did the release through Monster Fest for Umbrella. And yep. Cinema Nova had retitled it with the U on their yep. website. We asked them to change it, and they said no. We we have to change it to this because we get too many complaints from grammar Nazis. Yeah, yeah. Basically, say that it's spelt incorrectly. So we're just sort of like I we're going to cut it off. And I I'm like, that. wow, okay, that's interesting. All right, well, fair enough. Well, I do get that, but technically, that's not the title, is it? No, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. it's so strange. But yeah, what well, that's great that they did that for us. Yeah. I wonder was Cinnamon over around when California got released. <laughs> Oh man, they would have hated it, wouldn't they? I think actually, you know what? I think it might have just before they might have been just before they reopened in the Ooh, dodged in the bullet there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, far out. All right, well here it is. Here's my chat with those guys. Enjoy it, and um, Jarrett and I will see you on the other side. Hi guys, how are you going? Yeah, good. <laughs> That's good. Um, this movie was a highlight of the year for me. It's um, it completely caught me by surprise. Hilarious exciting and and very stunning so congratulations on it thank you so much seeing both of your names attached to this movie um was really unexpected how the hell did you guys get mixed up with the dungeons and dragons world (laughs) well we we had been on the flash movie for about a year and we exited that and were had sort of wet our appetite for something that was of a larger scale than what we had done before John ran into an agent at a bar who said to him, are you looking for something? And uh, that turned out to be um, D&D. And then, you know, we spent a lot of time debating, do we have a movie in our heads that we could bring to this thing, this giant world? And ultimately we saw it as an opportunity to kind of bring our approach, our humor or whatever style to this grand scale medieval epic fantasy movie. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, sorry. Go no, go, no, no, you go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, we we enjoy challenging ourselves and and creating obstacles for ourselves. And this film was um, 
uh, exactly that. It was sort of a larger scale version of what we did uh, with Game Night, where the approach to that film could have been very much down the middle, um, mid-budget comedy, like you've seen before. Uh, but we made life wholly more difficult for ourselves by shooting it like a, you know, uh, a thriller that is utterly humorless. Uh, like a David Fincher movie. And so we liked the idea of really lending our sense of humor and sensibility to a world that had not ever really touched on that successfully beyond, say, The Princess Bride uh, or Monty Python, which obviously is much broader. Um, and and the studio was game. They were they were ready to to take that swing. And fortunately, you know, audiences and critics really seem to embrace the thing that we thought there was potential in, but didn't totally know until it was shown to them. You've just you've just knocked three of my questions out of the park oh, there. I'm um, so sorry. No, 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 that's fantastic because I was going to um mention the you know the the Python-esque elements and the Princess Bride influence. Um, and I was wondering, firstly, where did you draw influences from? I'm guessing those films, but also, did the studio have any kind of freak out? You know, when they saw how far you were pushing the comedy, or like you said, were they just on board? No, I think that they were they were on board with the approach we took from the get go. Um, you know, we obviously had to go in and kind of pitch our take, and they they saw that we were going for something more humorous, but also not a spoof. That was very important to us, that it not turn into a, a broad, super broad comedy, you know, because then I think it's hard for an audience to invest very much in the characters or what's happening. So to, to, to their credit, and, and we're grateful, both studios got what we were going for, which was walking that line of humor, but also emotion and stakes and fun. Yeah. Awesome. I'm. I, I mean, I've been a big fan of of your comedies for a long time, and and if I may say, I think that um, Vacation is the most underrated comedy of the last decade. Well, <laughs> so, very glad. Thank you. Uh, and and one of the things that really tickled my fancy the most about Dungeons and Dragons was it's such a small gag, but the Chancellor Jonathan, um, such a fantastic gag, and that to me was very Pythonesque because they love to play around with ordinary sounding words. Um, right. And another and another thing like. Maybe Jabberwocky is another sort of Pythonist thing that I saw a lot of um, in your movie. Are there any other films that you took influence from, or you know, was it sort of just a were they just sort of a guideline for you? Definitely. I then I, just to just to digress for a second. What's so funny is um, the way that you said Jonathan uh, is with the soft R, and we had our British actress playing um, uh, Orbo, uh, who is British and and her R's were also kind of soft and didn't fully hit the funny of the Jonathan. And so we ended up having her come back and re-record just the word Jonathan with a hard R, totally betraying her roots, <laughs> but just embracing what makes the name so stupid. Um, but uh, yeah, we drew also influence from Spielberg's stuff. I mean, you know, uh, Jurassic Park was very much a spirit animal uh, for this film in that it so expertly utilized a perfect blend of practical and visual effects and also is like one of the cleanest, best kind of adventure stories 
down to the very opening, which we totally drew inspiration from with the <laughs> hobgoblin uh, first arriving at the prison, uh, as well as obviously a, a shot or two uh, uh, later on in the film. There's um, also, there's also a, there's a sprinkling of Ocean's Eleven in there, I think, yeah. um, in the heist aspects and the getting and the, the parole, board, yeah. parole board opening. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, That's our, exciting. Our, our hope was to capture the spirit of what we loved as kids and teens, you know, in 80s and 90s movies, you know, Raiders and Jurassic and the Amblin films and Never Ending Story and all those kinds of things, just because they were such a, a great time in the theater, you know. You've nailed that because I was in a cinema full of families and kids and the, they were just lapping it up. And it was, you know, okay. to hear them laughing at the same jokes the adults were, it was fantastic. Um, and I I saw that you guys also, you know, in a promo video did a, um, a Dungeons and Dragons game with the cast and the, yeah. and the crew and as a team bonding experience. And was there much of that kind of stuff throughout the production? Like you're shooting in Ireland and there's pubs everywhere. Like, uh, did you let I'm loose? Not, did you let not loose? During, not during COVID, there weren't. That was the parent oh. challenge is that there was never the fun in the filmmaking process of getting together with the cast and crew after a long shoot day and having a drink. Um, but, and also, you know, it was the only campaign that we played with them solely because our schedule was so incredibly intense. Uh, but it did reson resonate, I think, with our, our, our cast and crew, just that sort of free-spirited nature of gameplay that is so unique to DD &D and also a feeling that we definitely wanted to um encapsulate in the film were you both DD &D players as kids i was a player as a kid i was first introduced to it uh, as an actor on the show freaks and geeks because my character was supposed to be a big fan of it and so we played a campaign then and then i rediscovered it as an adult about three years before we started shooting. And it was one of the reasons why um, when the idea of a D&D movie came across our desks, we, I jumped at the, the chance because there it just felt like a natural way into a fantasy movie that hadn't been done before. And I, I hadn't played since I was a kid, um, but I immediately saw the potential of this world, you know, and turning it into something big and fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my time is just about up, but quickly before I go, I just want to ask you about the cast because they all nailed the comedy. They hit the brief, you know, on point. Uh, did any of them in particular surprise you with how hilarious they were? Um, I would say maybe, you know, reggae, Jean Page, he got the, like you said, got the brief <laughs> so perfectly because that's a character that if you push it a little too far in any direction, it stops working. And so he really just got the idea that you have to not wink and be as serious and humorless as possible. I would add that uh, Michelle Rodriguez understood that her character should never wink uh, or lean into the more comedic lines that she had. Um, much like in our film Game Night, the way that Jesse Plemons also understood that every that he had had every line that he said had to be played completely straight or else it wouldn't work um so i'm very appreciative that she she got it and trusted us to kind of uh, avoid any kind of comedic delivery of any of her lines 
Excellent. Well, guys, thanks so much. Um, really appreciate you chatting. Uh, I do love the film. I've I've reviewed it online and published, and um, yeah, it's just it's amazing. Thank you, Glenn. Really appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size, and this week's topic was chosen by Chad Jennings. Chad, what's the and, topic? Well, so we're going to talk about math movies, and the reason I, I thought about this we one don't is do one, math good. Well, and that's what I was saying is I believe out of all three of us, one of the one of the things we have in common is we all three hate math. Am I correct on this, gentlemen? Unless it has a dollar sign next to it, correct? I, I don't hate it. I can't do it. Right. I mean, I can't say I hate it because I'm not good at it because I don't know enough about it to say that. Well, I, 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 I am both. I don't know enough to say I hate it, but I hate it. <laughs> so, um, gentlemen, do you want me to go first on my yes. movie about math? So, my movie about math that I really enjoy, Terry Gilliam's The Zero Theorem. I genuinely love this movie. And it's all about uh, uh, Christopher Waltz. Yeah. Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Um, he plays a he plays a very lonely man in the, in the future. Um, he only wants to work from home. He he refers to himself as we or ourselves. Um, and his his boss at his company gives him a duty: you can work from home if you prove the zero theorem, which is a math equation that says basically life is meaningless. And it's all about him spiraling down uh, from his lonely life into uh, into not only insanity, but but rediscovering himself because he cannot solve this math equation. So that's my pick, the zero theorem. Gentlemen? Mine is going to be the best math movie about the best math teacher of all time. We're going to talk about Escalante, Edward James Almost, and <laughs> Stand and Deliver. I've got to How do I reach these kids? I actually didn't know who the director was. It's directed by Ramon Menendez. And I actually thought this was, I watched this a lot as a kid. And it really is a fantastic movie. It's a fantastic movie if you want to be a teacher. It's no lean on me. <laughs> well, it's, it's, he, is Ramon Menendez went on to do Tortilla Soup, Money for Nothing, a few movies that I quite frankly never, and pervert, he did a perversion of science as well. Things I really never watched. His big movie and the one that we remember is Stand and Deliver. And I don't know money for nothing, man. Do you even know what that is? I think I do. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. It stars John Cusack. Yes, yeah, John Cusack who finds the money off the back of the truck. Yeah, I, I thought that's what it was. I never seen it. So there you go. That's mine, James. You're muted, James. Totally screwing this up. <laughs> I was mute. I'm going to do the most math, math movie ever because it's both about the murder of a mathematician, but it also is one of the films that took its math very seriously and hired a great mathematician behind the scenes. And of course, it's the best movie to ever combine the talents of Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, River Phoenix, and Sidney Poitier. I'm talking, of course, about Sneakers. I need to go back and watch it. I did not care uh, for it as a child. But I, lo I love Sneakers. The behind, did you know this, Chad, that they hired Leonard Alt, uh, Adelman, A-D-L-E-M-A-S. I think the word you're looking for is hard. Uh, Leonard Adelman, and he was, as to be, just his sole role was to be the mathematical consultant. Useless trivia for anybody interested. Leonard Altman, uh, Adelman, sorry, I, I keep saying Altman, it's Adelman, is known for creating the term virus, as in computer virus, and he is now seen as the father of the 
mathematical DNA that makes up our computer systems. Hired a great mathematician just to consult for the film. So that's my math movie. There you go. Sneakers, folks. This has been our math movies. Tune in next week when we talk about our anthropological films. I thought it was going to be spelling bees and whatnot. Isn't that anthropological? What you mean? I have no idea what nothing nary bit no nothing means. I thought that's where they look at dinosaurs. Bonehead Weekly Fun Side. Wow, there's a flash from the past. Bloody sneakers. I love sneakers. I love that movie. Oh my god, that movie. All star cast: Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd. Bloody Emilio Estimavez. He was in it briefly, isn't it? He gets crushed in the elevator. No, that's Mission Impossible. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Mission Impossible. Oh, whoops. <laughs> River Phoenix. River yeah, Phoenix is in sneakers. That's right. Sydney Portier. Yes. Like, yeah, it's just it's such a, such a, it's a, it's a real timestamp, that movie, because the technology has not aged well. And yet, true. I can watch it now and just be as thrilled as I was back then. And, I want to watch it now because I'm going through a big Redford, you know, I'm going through a bit of a, like a Redford. Paul Newman, Steve McQueen thing. So yeah. I can watch anything with any one of those three people in it. But yeah, I, I could rewatch Sneakers in a Heartbeat. It's I need to upgrade it to Blu-ray, I think. I've only got it on DVD. That's a film that would benefit from Blu-ray. Because Did that even good... hit theatrical here? Because I remember it coming on Home Entertainment, but I yeah, don't remember it any kind of theatrical. I was so excited. I really wanted to see it at the movies, and I couldn't convince anyone to go <laughs> see it with me. Understandably, because... You know, the median age of the A-list cast was probably about 50 in the movie. So it wasn't <laughs> super appealing to my friends at the time. But, yeah, I really want to see it and rented it out as soon as it came out and, yeah, on video. And they probably would have been like, oh, the internet, that's just a fad. Yeah, that, that'll pass. That'll <laughs> yeah, pass. That's right. <laughs> Talk about a, a predated, outdated movie. Uh, dearie. <laughs> Anyway, let's recommend some movies before we wrap the show up, mate. Um, everyone, get your proverbial pens and paper out. I, I know you really, really pay attention to what we recommend and you do watch these and we like to hear about it on social media. <laughs> but I'm going to kick it off. We often on the show talk about Charles Band and, you know, it's usually in a depreciating and yet <laughs> endearing kind of way. Um, you know, these days he's more or less a traveling salesman that just pops up with cheap horror movies with puppets mm. and stupid concepts. And we do love that. But once upon a time, this guy was making really amazing films back in the Empire days, and including my recommendation with this week, which is 1987's Prison. Have you? Oh yes, yeah. the Rennie Harlan film. Yes, so directed I by Rennie Harlan. This was yeah. the movie that essentially got him the job on Nightmare on Elm Street Four, which then just opened the floodgates to Hollywood for him. Um, practically the same premise as Wes Craven's Shocker, I guess you could say, mm, mm. which came a but few much years better. later. Much better. Much better. It is about an executed prisoner who um, comes back to terrorise the warden and the inmates of a maximum security prison. Um, and it's a very basic premise, but it is so atmospheric. It is shot so beautifully. It stars uh, Viggo Mortensen, Lane Smith, mm. Tom Everett, uh, Tiny Lister Jr., Hal Langdon Jr., you know, the dad from Bill and Ted's, and Kane Hodder as the killer. Like, so it's already got a cast that's ahead of its time. Like the most of the this cast was yet to sort of break. And I, yeah, I found absolutely. it interesting that um, only when I was watching it, I realized that Viggo Mortensen and Tom Everett were together in Texas Chainsaw 3. Oh, shit, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Wow. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to place Tom Everett's face. I'm like, that's the guy from Chainsaw 3. And then I'm like, oh, but Viggo Mortensen is too. Like, And this is before that. So Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. At so least what, two or three years before. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not like a masterpiece by any means, but for people that love horror movies from the 80s, that you know, where the special effects were mostly practical and when they were you know, high tech effects, they were 
done like you know bolts of lightning and things like that. It yeah, was just and lots under, of op- yeah, lots of optical opticals, effects yes. where they've painted the individual cells, film That's cells. That's right. Yes, so it's got that kind of stuff. It is a feast for the eyes. Um, Lane Smith is amazing in this. He's sort of almost playing two character but against character. Like I've never seen him like this, and yet you can see little glimpses of other things he's done as well. Um, he's a fa- fantastic character actor. Interesting thing about the production of this one is that they shot it in a, an abandoned prison that was get, scheduled for demolition. And so they had free reign to just tear the place apart. And boy, do they in the movie. Like, they go oh, hell for leather, bringing this prison down. And that's, I think, the chaos of that makes it really, really engaging. And then finally, one of those movies where in the video store days, you know, I always had that VHS in my hand, reading the cover. Yes. The, the poster yes. of this was just delicious. And I didn't see it for many years later, but it was always a horror film I knew about, a bit like The Lamp. It's a movie that I just always had on my peripheral, but um, never got to see until I was much older in my sort of later teens. But um, oh, great movie! Oh, so great look it up. Movie. It's um, it's just yeah, it's on. I think I mean you can get the, the full film on YouTube. It may be on Prime or Tubi or it something. Might be like on that. Prime or something because I think it's yeah. owned by MGM because a lot of the old Empire stuff that Charlie produced went yep. you know went to MGM. But I remember the. The video actually had a reverse slick, similar like house. Yeah. One way it was sort of like um, horizontal, and the other way it was vertical. Yeah. But funnily enough, that movie was banned in Queensland, <laughs> and I didn't know that. But it was readily available at one of the video stores I went to, and I didn't realize till many years later it was actually banned. And I was like, "Oh fuck, that's mate, great! It's one that mate, got through." That is that is just a podcast begging for you to host. I know, Band in Queensland needs to happen. Do you know what another movie that was banned in Queensland was, Glenn? <laughs> Alfred Horror. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Available on Blu-ray June twenty-first. No, I'm oh, mate, do it, do it, do it. We'll host it on the other uh, website. Um, yeah, anyway, it's a so great idea. That is, uh, that is my recommendation. Prison, check it out. You won't be disappointed. And what about you, sir? What are you going to recommend for people? Well, I've got an interesting one for you. It was a first-time watch for me, and I just watched it recently, and I was, I was blown over by mm-hmm. it and yeah i didn't know what to anticipate the only reason i actually ended up watching it was because one of the producers he was an executive producer on this one edward s feldman he was a producer on i can't say another film that i've just recorded an audio commentary for that hasn't been announced yet <laughs> okay. but the good thing is he's produced a lot of movies so no one's or, going to be able to readily work out what it is could have you said he produced and then named the film but just not mentioned that you were involved yeah, that's true. I could have. I don't know why. I just want, I was like I was like my reasoning as to why I landed yeah. upon it. But the worst part about it was like I decided to watch this movie after I'd finished recording the commentary. It was just that I saw it come up in his filmography and I was like, yeah, I've got to check that out. And then I just picked it up recently because Imprint put out a Blu-ray of it last year, last October. Uh, so yeah, I, I was like, oh shit, yeah, I'll, I'll grab that and I'll give it a look. And then I watched it last weekend. Anyway, the film's called Save the Tiger. From right. 1973. Yep. Yep. Have you yep. seen this one? I no, but I, I do know the film you mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll I think you'll really enjoy this one. It's it's an odd duck. It's actually directed by John uh John, what's his name? John G. Abelston that did oh, yes. the Karate That's why kid. I know it. That's why I know it. Yeah. And Rocky. Yep. And so it is kind of unusual because this this film is lacking in action, I would say. Um, yep. you know, there's no sort of grand fight finale or anything of that nature. Um, it's a bit of a slice of life kind of drama, but it's all set within a 24 hour period cool. and it's kind of got this escalating drama and the lead is Jack Lemon. He plays this character, Harry Stoner and Harry Stoner is like, I wouldn't say a failed businessman, but he's kind of lives beyond his means. 
Like he has a place in Beverly Hills, drives <laughs> that a flash is car. So Jack Lemon. It is super Jack Lemon. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm envisioning like a slightly ratty suit, a, a tie that's kind of loose. You know, that's He's the like, Jack like, Lemon style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and almost like in that that uh, Glen Gary Glen Ross way. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so he's got this business. It's a women's uh, fashion label, and they seem to do pretty well. But like I said, he kind of lives beyond his means, and I think you know they've got money coming in, but they just need to make it past this point in time. And he'll do anything to keep the business sort of afloat, and that involves like call girls, uh, insurance scams, and yeah, like I said, it's all over twenty four hours, and a lot happens. There's a bit cool. of adultery in there, but it's. Yeah, it's a strange beast because it is like a very talky drama, but there are elements of comedy about it. I mean, with Jack Lemmon, how could there not be? Yeah. But he earned the Best Actor at Ooh. the Academy Awards in 1974 for his role in this film. But it's I honestly think this is possibly his best dramatic role, better than, you know, Days of Wine and Roses, better than Glengarry Glen Ross. It's just, it really shows his range as, a, I, as an actor. I love Jack Lemmon. Like, I really, really love Jack Lemmon. Um, but oh, I like, yeah, I I like Jodie Avelson as well. And this is interesting. Where did this come in his career in relation to the trauma stuff? Because he got his start with trauma. Well, funnily enough, it was immediately afterward because one of the beautiful things, I haven't checked out all the special features yet, but on yep. the Blu-ray release, there's actually a interview with Lloyd Kaufman talking, oh, of, right. talking awesome. about it. Like, <laughs> it's such a, a great ad to have on the release. But yeah, this was the film that kind of launched him as, say, you know, a studio director as opposed to an indie director. And I, I know that they had a bit of trouble getting the film made in terms of not having any interest from studios and Paramount finally agreed to take on the movie, but on the proviso that it was shot for like a million dollars yep. and that uh, Jack Lemmon was going to work, you know, for scale, you know, mm. and he was an actor that would earn a massive paycheck, but because yep. it was, you know, playing against type and, you know, Lemon really wanted to do it, so he drove the project. And no doubt, too, with John in the director's seat, it was probably a bit of a gamble for the studio. But this was during, like, Paramount's peak period of change, you know, as a studio. Robert Evans was still overseeing things, you know. The Godfather had just come out the year prior. Chinatown was coming out the next year. So it was, like, a really interesting period in time for for Paramount. But, um, but yeah, it's it's an odd duck of a movie, but it is just... It just works so well because it's all based on Jack Lemmon's just yep. unfaltering and brilliant performance in the role. I think you'll really, really love it. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, I don't know how I'm tying it, maybe thematically, but it kind of just reminds me the other week when I recommended Fatso, the the Dom DeLuise movie. Yeah, totally. Like, it just totally. took me by surprise in the same kind of way, like you know, real dramatic yep. turn. And yeah, anyway. Good stuff, mate. I'm going to add and that to my list. I reckon you could do a triple header. You could do Fatso, you could do Save the Tiger, and you could even do Joe as well with Peter Boyle. Oh, yes. They make for a great, great, you know, triple header. Because I always think Peter Boyle is like, a, I think him is like a doofusy kind of character, even in like Taxi Driver or yep. years later and like Everybody Loves Raymond or something. Um, but in that kind of role too. So you could, yeah, that'd make for a great triple header of 70s um, against type. You know, average. Well, I wouldn't say average man because, like I said, Harry Stoner is <laughs> fairly wealthy. But yeah, yeah make yeah. for a great triple header. Brilliant. That sounds good. Um, and that there brings us to the end of the show, mate. Fantastic. It feels wow. like it was lightning fast. Was this one of the fastest episodes 
in recent oh, times? Look, I mean, look, or was I just been... enjoying myself too much? Because <laughs> I'm still they, wearing my pants. The um the episodes do tend to go a lot faster when Ben is not here. I must admit, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we've uh, we've managed to pad it out quite nicely with our little gameplay back there, um for sure. But uh, either way, like it's it's. It doesn't matter how long it is. It's all about the, the quality of the content, and I think we've had a good time. I had um, a great time. I didn't. Been... It definitely didn't feel like we were recording a podcast. It felt like we were hanging out. I know I've got to get over there. I want to do it in studio. So yes, you know, I've got sure. to wait for Ben to take another bloody holiday, or or at least give me <laughs> one one little. Just s- join us. We've got to four. sit on. I, I will we're totally. Not... I will totally join you. Just. I just want to sit in his seat, though. That's oh, the we'll... only. That's the only thing get that I want. Is like get no. here first. Yeah, right. Easy. All right. I've, Done. Got, I've got four microphones. We can make it happen. Ben, you've got the stool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and then thank you to everybody for listening. It's, it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Also want to just quickly say, make sure you do you do tune in to Wednesday Up Late this particular week because Chloe and I are recording the episode from Melbourne Comic Con. So it's going to be a whole different kind of show. All of the gameplay that we normally do in the show is going to be done with people on the floor. So looking forward to doing that. Um Anything else you want to add? Any promotional stuff you want to do? You're all good? No, look, I think I already plugged Houseboat Horror, so I think we're done. (laughs) You know, everybody knows that comes out June 21st on Blu-ray. So I think, you know, I think we're good. All right, so make sure you all go and look up Houseboat Horror. Um, I must say that. (laughs) Find us on socials. We'd like to know if you do listen and where you do listen to us from. So find us, go to goodmoviemonday.com, click all the social links, um, listen. And then we're leaving with a song from... Dungeons and Dragons, just keeping it in theme there. This is actually Tame Impala doing Wings of Time, which was, I think, recorded exclusively for the movie, if I'm not mistaken. I wow, mistaken. that's cool. But yeah, anyway, so it's a good way to end, and I'm amazed that we sort of passed the uh, the legal check on that one. <laughs> 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 Except for Russia. They never let anything get through. Of course, they never do. <laughs> They're Russians. 